Wow. I get out and I walk. I said, hey, I never got those eggs. And he picked up the shotgun. Wow. Clicks it off. I can remember this day, the little button by the trigger. You clicks it off. And he says, you have one chance of leaving here. I'm going to ask you a question. If you get the answer right, you get to leave and you can have the eggs. Otherwise, you're here to stay. Where are we running to everyone welcome to the somewhat helpful podcast where we set the bar low so that we can exceed your expectations all jesting aside the intent of this podcast is to take a look at life and culture and a variety of different topics and issues primarily through the lens of a christian worldview i am excited today to have keith chilson with us really really excited about this guest and this conversation Uh, i've known keith for a couple years now, I guess, mm-hmm. and uh, we've already had uh, some great conversations together. Such an interesting man with an interesting background, and he's going to share some of uh, his experiences and his stories with us today, and I believe that you will be at least somewhat helped uh, by the end of this podcast today. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself today, Keith. Yeah, uh, thank you, Adam. Yes, sir. Uh, being here with you. Um, let me start by saying my background in growing up was very different, which probably positioned me for some different issues in ministry. Sure. Um, I've got half-brothers and sisters from three parents that were not my parents. Mm-hmm. I've got foster brothers and sisters uh, that, that were my foster parents that were not. Uh, I've got brothers and sisters that are blood brothers and sisters I've never met. Uh, I was explaining this to a friend where I was working one day, and he stopped me and said, "Uh, you don't have a family tree, you have a family forest. Uh. And uh, so that's kind of the background. So family and values uh, became important to me at a young age. And um, uh, moving into ministry, I went through some of the things most people do. It's not what you think. But I began to shift early on. Uh, to a position of not accomplishing a great deal in building a ministry, but rather living off values. Yeah. And uh, it's led me to encounters with a lot of people, uh, strange things early on. I didn't know most ministers don't go through this, but uh, uh, several times from threats in my life, uh, curses pronounced by witches, just just a lot of you that. You thought that thing. was all just part of the job, right? That was the yeah. normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know most pastors don't do that. Yeah, so, that's funny. So it's been a, an interesting venture, uh, and I've... Uh, <clears throat> and uh, how long have you pastored? Uh, well, I started in the ministry in February of 1973. Gotcha. So uh, I pastored three churches on staff in two other churches, and mm-hmm. now I'm retired. So. All right. Sounds good. Well, I wanna, I'll want to. i give a quick plug for this amazing book that uh, Keith shared with me. Uh, it's called Wisdom in the Mirror, and uh, it is a collection of about, what, 25 or so stories? About 46 stories. Oh, 46. Six. Oh, I only read half the book. Just kidding. I, I read it all, uh, and I'm going to read it again. It was yeah. very, very good, very engaging. You have just been through so many different interesting situations in your life, and, uh, and this book um, tells great stories of that, but also ties every situation to just this, this principle. Really, you mentioned a value and, and a nugget of wisdom. So it's, a, it's really a, an easy and good 
engaging read. Once you pick it up, you won't want to put it down. So you can find this on Amazon. Uh, is that yes, correct? Yes, that's correct. Awesome. So Wisdom in the Mirror. I'll put the link in the video description below. And if you happen to be local here in Dothan, uh, Keith has a bunch of these he carries around in his trunk with him, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not in your trunk, but you do have plenty that you would be willing to sell for anyone here locally. Uh, so I encourage you to pick that up. Uh, but so, yes, back to your your pastoral ministry, vocational ministry. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you when you tell me a little bit about how you moved into that direction for your life? Um, went into a foster home at 16, and mm-hmm. my foster parents were Assembly of God pastors. I had never uh, been to church before any of that. I didn't know who or what God was. I was raised as a, a heathen, um, honestly what you would call poor white trash. That yeah. was the, the and, background. And what part of the country was this? I was born in New York, lived in 22 different states by the wow. time I was 13, and wow. several places in, in some of those states. That's amazing. My, 20, that's that's the most I've ever heard. Is you know, in a 13-year span, 22 yes. year, 22 states. That's yes. well, the the man that my mother was living with was wanted by the law. Ah. So we were just running from the law, and at 16, uh, the law was catching up, and he left, and I haven't seen him since. Wow. Wow. And so did you spend most of your childhood with that man around? That was the father figure for you? Yeah, that was the father figure. I've honestly, I've never liked him. He's probably the the meanest person I've ever met in my life to this day. Wow. Uh, From the age of about two to 16. And in fact, I had prayed when I first got saved and said, God, I can't serve you in this home. Move me into the pastor's home. And three weeks later, he did. Wow, that was at 16, right? Yes. Wow, that's amazing. So you lived in 22 different states, and you ended up where Where was the home with the pastors that you lived? Uh, at 13, we entered California. Okay. And so I'd been in California until I we moved to Alabama about two years ago, something yeah. like that. Uh, pastored three churches there. Mm-hmm. Um, Met my wife there. I went to Bible school there. Those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about you. So you apparently had a very uh, tumultuous, difficult childhood, uh, to say the least. It sounds like, and you ended up at sixteen. You moved. The foster parents were the pastors of a of a local church. How did that connection happen? Um. Uh, a kid in high school that was not liked by anybody, was, it was a Christian, and he was a foster kid of uh, the pastor who I eventually lived with. And he kept inviting me to church, and I kept saying, no, I was scared of church. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Finally, I agreed to go on a Sunday night if he would stop inviting me. So we walked into this little church. If it was full, would probably seat 40 people. Yeah. There were probably 20 people there, and I followed him down to the front row because I don't know anything about church. Um, checked out. I paid no attention during the service. At the end, I hear the pastor saying, raise your hand, and this kid I walked in is nudging me. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I raise my hand, and if you've ever been in back in that day, well, I see that hand. That's and, right. Uh, um, Went to the altar, just wanting out of there, um, said yes to everything, went home afterwards. In my home, I grew up drinking. As I quit drinking at 21. Wow. I started at, at five. Wow. 
uh, violence, those kind of things were all a, a part of it. So went home and uh, opened a beer, and my mom said, well, how did church go? I said, well, I guess it got saved, whatever that is. Wow. And the next Sunday morning, I woke up at 5 o'clock crying. Uh, crying gets you beat. I was paid to fight as a kid. My, yeah. my stepdad would pay me for fighting. Uh, wow. A very violent, you don't cry. So I went out to the barn, just bawling my eyes out, thinking I was going to die unless I got to that church. Wow. Called the pastor, and he came and picked me up, and that started the relationship with, with church and, min, and uh, the minister there became my foster dad. Yeah. How did your mom and stepdad, uh, how, what was their attitude toward you attending church? Um, the church is okay, uh, but don't let it interfere with life. Gotcha. Um, booze, uh, violence, and immorality were their values. Right. And from, uh, from early childhood, I had kind of distanced myself emotionally from all of that. I wanted something else. I didn't know what it was. Sure. And I think when I was introduced to church and to this pastor and to God, I saw what I'd hungered for and didn't yeah. know how to find. Yeah. Wow. So there you are, not not really knowing anything about church or God or the Bible or anything else, and yet you see this doorway open, and you start walking through that doorway mm -hmm. and, and building a relationship with this pastor. Yes. Uh, what did that look like? What, what was it like for you to start forming a, a concept of God and of basic biblical principles when, when all of that was completely new to you? Do you remember how you felt during that time, what you thought about, like what were the revelations that were like the aha moments that you had never known? Okay, I uh, had a lot of aha moments. In sure. fact, I lived by those. Yeah, I was given a Bible that I read and totally didn't understand. Uh, yeah. I probably read it through in the first three months Wow. and went back, but I, I understood nothing. Yeah, It was just like a foreign language. But I had moments in which God just spoke to me, and that was the normal, especially being young. Uh, what he wanted, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. Uh, the call to ministry was one of those kind mm -hmm. of things. There were just a lot of personal revelations. I would go to the pastor and, and share essentially a verse like John three sixteen, never having read it. Right. But I, but I heard it from the Holy Spirit, yeah. and so that was. My Christian uh, childhood, if I, if I can use that term, yeah. is just encountering a God I had never known. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So where did that lead you from there? Um, at about 17, uh, the, they had a week-long teaching in the church on the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. And uh, about the third night, I heard the Lord say get up, go out of this service into the Sunday school room. I want to talk to you alone. Wow. My foster dad was very strict as a minister. Once church started, his rule was, you don't leave until it's over or I will come and get you. Sure. So I just and said... He was, to, the, he was the pastor? Is yes. That right? So he would yeah. stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stop so, and come get you. So wow. I just sat there. Yeah. Uh, and the, the man who was teaching on Revelation stopped, literally shook his head, and he said, Wow. I just heard the voice of God like I've never heard it in my life. Wow. There's somebody in this church that God wants out of here, and the message is this, don't anybody dare follow him or you will be in trouble with God. Oh, my. 
So he had us, everybody bow their heads, and I got up and walked out of the, into the back room to see what God wanted. Wow. That's amazing. So what did God want? <laughs> well, I, uh, I got back there. I didn't turn the light on. It was dark. It was a little Sunday school room with those little wooden colored church chairs in it. Uh-huh. I didn't know what you do when God says he wants to speak to you. I, yeah. I, I could almost relate to uh, um, Samuel. Uh-huh. So I, I crossed my hands, yeah. and I bowed my head, and I thought, I don't have any idea what you say to God. Sure. So I raised, my, and when I raised my head, I literally left this world, and spiritually, I guess. Physically, yeah. probably, uh, the body was there, but I was lifted into, I can only express it as the heavenlies, yeah. and had a, a, a vision on the left was this gigantic black dragon with his head down by the ground, moving left and right, his tongue flicking in and out. Off to the right was a set of gold posts that looked like there were pearls and things set into them. Mm-hmm. In between was a massive green field of grass that was tall enough to move. I was right in the middle between the dragon and the um, gold post, and a sword was laying at my feet. I was back watching me and uh, this voice that thundered it's not that it's loud it's that it's all encompassing I, I think we think of God when it says the voice like many waters somehow it's less, it, and it is but that doesn't describe it it's like it takes over yeah and this this voice said I have a battle for you to fight and if you're going to survive you'll need to know your weapon very very well. Wow. And then I was back in this little room laying on the floor physically unable to get up. Wow. That's amazing. And it sounds the way you were describing it like you remember it very vividly. Oh, yes, it's very vivid. I yes. would I would imagine that's not something that you forget. <laughs> no sir. Wow. Yeah. So you knew there was a battle ahead of you, and you needed to know your weapon yes. very well. Yes. And would, would you say that was the beginning of, of the call you felt toward ministry? Yes. The, um, the pastor and the speaker, it was probably, I don't know, 11, 11.30 at night. They came looking for me, and they, I was just able to get to my feet. Uh, physically, my body could not respond when my spirit was so engaged. It's just a strange thing. Uh, yeah. So they found me just as I was coming out of the room, and I told them what happened. And the speaker uh, began to prophesy and said, this is the call of God. Your life will never be your own. You will be following after whatever he sets before you uh, for the rest of your life. And from that point on, I just knew I was called. Didn't know what it was. Began to make plans to go to Bible school. Uh, Had no clue what that was, but that was the direction. And how old were you at the time? I was just turned 17. Just turned 17. Yeah. Wow. So you began to ask about Bible school, I guess, to try to figure out what the next step in that was. And uh, you did. You were able to find a, a school that met what you needed? Well, I uh, yeah, found a uh, school, an Assembly of God Bible school. Mm-hmm. But because I had moved around so many times as young, my education was very, very bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know anything about math, science, English. Um, uh, none of those things were working. So when I went to Bible school, it was more than I could handle, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually didn't do well. 
uh, in Bible school. After two years, I dropped out to get married and did everything else online for my credentialing and things. Yeah, yeah. So how did you, was that, did you question your direction at that moment when when you were in Bible school and, and things weren't going as well as you had hoped, I imagine? Did that cause you to think, okay, am I, did I hear from the Lord correctly? Am I following His voice correctly? I don't think I ever questioned. I knew this was God. I simply didn't know how it could work. Uh, I, I think a little bit like Mary when she said, how will this be? She wasn't questioning the angel. Right. She was asking, how is it going to work? And yeah. I think that's where I was mm. for uh, probably a, a few years. Even yeah. when I started ministry, I just didn't know how this was going to mm. work out because I didn't feel well suited to it. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently uh, the Lord thought you were well-suited, or he was going to well-suit you for it, wasn't <laughs> yes, he? Yes, he, he worked on it. Very yeah, hard, yes. yeah. So you ended up getting... Uh, so tell me about your kind of first movements and into ministry there. You got married at the age of, what was it? 20. At 20, okay. Yeah, so, we got married, and five months later, the, the, the man who had taught the lesson where I was called just showed up on our uh, doorstep, the rainy January morning, and they... He said, uh, I'm here to ask you to come and be my associate pastor. Wow. I didn't have a credential at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, had never preached, never taught. Wow. Uh, just was kind of trying to get there. And so he uh, took it under his wing, and we'd been married five months. We moved into a position of ministry, and I was totally unsuited. My first sermon Opening prayer, reading the scripture, preaching and closing prayer lasted almost four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, there's a lot of people in church that would really like that. They'd probably come to your church for, uh, for a four-minute <laughs> <Yeah>, service. <laughs> wow. So four minutes. But you learned, obviously, and you grew uh, and probably learned through mistakes, I would imagine, as, mm -hmm. as yeah. we often do. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about those early years of ministry. Well, the, uh, the pastor that invited him to be associate realized I was ministerially handicapped. Sure. So he had me preach to him, just him, every yeah. Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock for over six months. Wow. And he would critique it. He would help me. He would just go through everything from my... Uh, a presentation personally, reading the scripture, praying, looking at the uh, six months of, of that kind of coaching to yeah. help me. And then he started scheduling me as a guest speaker in places I didn't want to go. Wow, really? <laughs> so, so that was a part and, of it. He, he spent or? a lot of time uh, uh, discipling me toward ministry, uh, and I needed it. I yeah. really did. Yeah. So you, you would speak at other churches, different locations? Yeah, other churches. He had me speak at a, uh, a big youth convention for a uh, Pentecostal denomination. Yeah. And I had prepared a message on David and Goliath. Right. And there must have been probably four or 500 people. The youngest person there was in their 40s. Yeah. 80% uh, of them were retired people. There were wow. no youth. Wow. And so I preached a teen sermon to a bunch of old people that oh clapped goodness. and applauded and loved it. It was really very they embarrassing it, for huh? me. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that is funny. And there you were in your 20s, you know, 20 years old, early yeah, 20s. I, yes, and, I was wow. 21 years old when I... Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
So given your childhood and the trauma that you had experienced and the, the ways of living that you had learned because that was what you saw modeled, mm -hmm. how during those first few years of ministry did, was it challenging to relearn how to, how to live and how to, you know, view people and life and yourself and, and, you know, develop a right view of God because you apparently had, you know, had none before. Mm -hmm. So I know I've, you know, from my perspective, I grew up uh, most of my childhood in church mm -hmm. and yet here I am pushing 40 and I, there's there are concepts that I still will realize. Wow, I've misunderstood that, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm I'm learning, and I can only imagine going through the type of situation you described of your childhood, and then moving in straight. I'm almost, you know, straight into mm -hmm. ministry. Was that difficult? Was there a lot of moments where you felt you you mentioned you didn't know how it would work, but there were were there moments where you felt there were great questions. Or problems that you didn't know how to solve or you didn't have the answer to yeah uh, I think for me the biggest thing Adam is that there was so much I had to unlearn and set aside but right. I didn't know what it was until I encountered each one right uh, so early on values became important as God began to deal with that uh, I was raised that stealing is good if you don't get caught okay it's only wrong right to get caught yeah. So I had to unlearn a, a lot of things in the process because they were in the way. You didn't preach that, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, sir. Good. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a, and throughout my life, I find God teaching me something, but almost simultaneously, he's relieving me of something else. Right. And, and I think for many Christians, we miss the uh, unloading part while we're trying to learn. Mm, yeah. um, and I think it... it maybe clouds the truth a little bit for us. Right. Yeah, that's that's good. You have to be willing to let go of what you think you know in order to take the truth that God is, is teaching. Mm -hmm. Very good. So let's move into some of the, uh, the I'll call it the adventure years. Okay. <laughs> you, you may not look at it that way, but from what I read in the book, there's, I would say, uh, adventurous, uh, as a good way to put it, uh, you, it seemed like one of the things that I gathered from your book was that when you sensed the Lord leading you a particular direction, you did it. And uh, regardless of how, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you may not, Lord, how will this be? Like, I don't know how this is going to work, but if God is is impressing upon you to to take a particular action, it's that's what you did. So I, I kind of want to ask two questions on that is, first of all, how did you hear, how, did, how do you know the voice of God? How do you know when God is leading you a particular direction? Uh, let's say outside of uh, the, the, the circumstance you mentioned earlier where you had a vision. That, I would think that would be obvious, right? If, if you have some sort of really uh, spiritual encounter like that, where you you recognize how real that is that's that's an obvious okay I'm going to go this direction but for myself and for for many of the people that I talk to that's not a common occurrence so how did you discern what where God was leading you in those times and then second of all 
Uh, where did that take you from there? Okay. Um, it's a bit strange. When I first heard the voice of God, it was brand new, but very well established in me. Hmm. It's almost as if I had been tuned to it, not the voice tuned to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that in that first week from that first church service to the second, I think God was doing something very hidden uh, so that if God speaks, it's just been easy for me to tune into it. I have uh, uh, based everything from our, our finances. I've sold the house and given away all the money because God said. Yeah. And then years later, get another house and end up with a house totally paid for. Yeah. Because that's what the voice of God, it leads you. And, and Jesus said, my sheep will know my voice. Mm -hmm. So for me, from the get-go... Yeah, it was just obvious, but I think he did something in me initially mm -hmm. that causes me to hear his voice. That mm. that's the best explanation I know. Do you think that that is God's desire for everyone to be able to hear his voice that clearly? I, I don't. I think that um, God's plan for my life, and He knew my background, made it harder. Right. So I think He did this. Or I would not have been able to do what he wanted me to do. Yeah. I you, needed that desperately. Almost a, a special dispensation of grace to yeah, you. That's it's what like, I would say, yes. You need a clear channel because you're going to walk <laughs> yeah, through yeah, some, some yeah. challenges. Mm -hmm. So yeah, And you already had it, obviously, from your childhood. So beginning with some of those challenges, you mentioned several really interesting stories from the book. Uh, from uh, you know, I'll, I'll ask you about this one because it, it seemed to go on for several years. Uh, which was your uh, neighbor, uh, your your good friend and neighbor. So uh, so tell us a little bit about some of the challenges you you encountered there with your neighbor. Yes, this was our first church. I was 25 years old, uh, a little community of about a thousand in the mountains, mm -hmm. uh, and I knew there was a lot of drug activity in those mountains. But uh, uh, the neighbor was a a man, a, I call him a demoniac. Uh, Probably six six, I I would guess close to three hundred and fifty pounds. A wow. massive man, violent. Um, in fact, uh, this isn't in the book. Um, a young couple in our church tried to witness to him. He, yeah. he was living right next to the church. He pulled out a knife with about a uh, twelve inch blade, cut himself from shoulder to elbow, wide open, just draw it to the bone, and just started laughing. Wow. They just ran. Yeah. And this neighbor decided, because uh, I think he just sensed the presence of God and wanted to, to kill me. Wow. So he, would, uh, he threatened to kill me, rape my wife, my two little girls. In the middle of the night, he'd be shooting guns off, uh, building fires. He couldn't cross the property line. Every day, I spent one hour walking the property line praying. Yeah. Every day. So he I, lived right next door to you. Yes, and wow. he was uh, threatening. We'd see the eerie glow of flames out the window and have a massive bonfire just on his property, and he'd be out there laughing and hollering obscenities at us. Wow. Um, how did it start? What was your first interaction with this guy like? Do you, do you remember how it started? Um, yes. Uh, he, um, they just moved in, him and his wife, in the middle of the night, we got a knock on the door, and it was his wife. She was covered with blood from head to foot, just wow. a mess. So we brought her into the house, patched her up, gave mm -hmm. her a place to stay, and uh, 
I suggested she get a restraining order because she right. was terrified. And she did, and that restraining order triggered him with a hatred for me that wow. uh, he pursued yeah. for the whole time. So he blamed you for that. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So she was covered in blood from abuse? From yes. Well, she had been, he had broken a leg off a table to beat her with. Oh, my. Uh, he had obviously punched her, slapped her. Uh, she left the house, and the only way to get away, she worked her way into a big blackberry patch. The briars had scratched her from, so the patch was probably about eight foot tall, and she just went out to where she was under all the briars. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't go into the briar patch. Wow. Finally, he passed out uh, drugs and things. That's yeah. when she came to our house. Wow. So, so he blamed you, obviously. Did she, what, what ended up happening with her? Did she go back to him? Did she leave? What was the... Uh, she um, uh, left. We took her to a family member's house, and she filed for the restraining order. Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, she called and asked if I went with her and her husband for counseling. He had agreed to counseling. Wow. There was no office in the little church. So, so as I he's, was, at this time, was he... Uh, was he threatening you, you know, across the yard and, and building the fires and all of that stuff at, as he's agreeing to counseling with you? Yes, he, he uh, off the church property or our property, he would threaten. The minute yeah. he stepped on, all the threats stopped. Wow. He became more docile, more respectful. Wow. Uh, he'd step across the line going home and turn around and yell an obscenity. It Very, was like wow. God had posted a border. It, it's yeah. just a... A strange relationship, and in the counseling, uh, right in the middle of it, a big deputy sheriff comes into the church and asks for this man and hands him a restraining order and walks away. And I'm sitting there praying, God, have him stay. <laughs> you know? So was this this was the restraining order from his wife? Yes. So in counseling, we were in counseling. The when deputy it was walks served. in. Wow. How did he respond to that? Well, I, I spoke up and I said, I'm the one that told her to do that because oh, I wow. know what he would do to her. Right. And he just stood up and walked out. Not wow. a word. Just yeah. walked out. Yeah. And uh, the next day we were down downtown, which is just a, a little community at Western Auto Store, mm -hmm. returning a stereo that wasn't working. Right. We were parked on a... Uh, the side of the street across from Western Auto, and there was nothing there, an open parking lot. Mm -hmm. And so he pulled in in his pickup, got out his pickup, he kept rolling and ran into the side of a parked car. Wow. And he came toward me, and I turned around, and he said, I want you. And I honestly thought, I'm going to see Jesus in about 60 seconds. Wow. That was honestly where I was. And I just raised my hands up to heaven. I have yeah. no clue what to do. Yeah. He came up and swung his fist at me, and it came right up alongside of my head. I mean, just, just not connecting, and it stopped. He staggered backwards, arms stretched out, and started screaming, let go of me. Let go, you can't do this. Stop. Let go of me. And ended up spread eagle with his back against his own pickup, screaming and fighting uh, what I now believe to be two invisible angels. Wow. So that's when I began to gained some courage and lost my wow. fear and began to preach to him. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So did he, do, did he counsel with you anymore? <laughs> no more counseling. No, he didn't return to counseling. Uh, on, I think, three different occasions and encounters with him, 
Uh, he would end the encounter with, Preacher, you don't have a clue how powerful your God is. If wow. you only knew. Wow. Three times he would say those things. He just, it was evident that he knew about my God maybe more than I did. Wow. Wow. And how old was this guy, approximately? Probably uh, late 30s, 40s, something okay. like that. Yeah. And you were still early 20s at this time? I was time, 25, 25, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So where did that lead? Where did that, uh, how does that story um, resolve? We were at a prayer meeting in the church on a Sunday night. Mm-hmm. He came uh, in and he's trembling violently, uh, almost just staggering. And he comes mm-hmm. to the altar and just falls heavily mm-hmm. on his knees. Yeah. And he's uh, shaking and rocking. And uh, then I heard God say, now's the time. Uh, and God simply quickly told me, uh, bind the enemy and let him make a decision. Wow. So I just laid a hand on his shoulder in the name of Jesus, you know, I bind the enemy. Yeah. And, and, and uh, he relaxed. He took a deep breath like somebody coming out of water. Yeah. Kind of rocked back. And he looks around at the world as if he's seeing it for the first time. And I told him, uh, Rick, you can make your choice. The devil you've served or the God that you've encountered. It's up to you. You're free. Mm. And he uh, took some time kind of rocking and looking at his hands and looking around. He finally said, Preacher, um, he said, there's blood on my hands. He said, I regularly go to places like San Francisco in the middle of the night. I strangle people. The bodies they find in the mornings in big cities, several of those are mine. He said, I love watching the life go out of their eyes. Uh, so I'm going to say no to your God. And it wasn't long after that he overdosed on over-the-counter drugs and killed himself. Wow. Wow. I can imagine um, going through something that lasted that long and was that um, traumatic and eventful for you. Have you continued after the fact, to look back and learn from, from all of that or, or gain insight, I guess. from I don't see how you could process that as a 25-year-old, all the things you just told me, and go, okay, well, I understand the situation now, you know? Uh, I, I think I'm still processing a lot, uh, yeah. honestly. Um, in a sense, you relive traumas. Yeah. We know that uh, friends who've been through accidents, and, and periodically they relive it. For ministry with some of these things, I do that in process, and then I end up learning eventually. Yeah. Right afterwards, I wouldn't know that I learned anything other right. than I was just grateful he's out of my life. Right, yeah. Uh, but, but I have learned God, when he says he loves the world, he's not talking about nice people. Wow. He's talking about the worst of the worst. God loves him passionately, and I suspect we as his servants don't care as much about them as he does. Mm. And that might be part of a problem. Wow. So what can we do about that? Uh, I think the focus of the gospel is what I'm going to call the spiritually most needy. Jesus said, I didn't come to, uh, to call the, the uh, healthy. Mm-hmm. It's the sick. And he reached the people that the religious culture didn't want to have around. Uh, the woman at the well, mm-hmm. the Gergesene demoniac, 
Matthew, the tax collector. Yeah. Uh, and you see, the biggest things that happened in Jesus' ministry came out of his reaching an individual that others didn't want mm. him to the, in their lives. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't the crowds that changed things. It was the individuals nobody wanted. Yeah, yeah. So do you, how do you, let's, let's move, I know you've got a lot more stories that you could tell, and I wanted to ask you, but I really, I feel like that's a good segue into where we are now as a, as a church. You know, you, you and I uh, were ordained by God, and everyone listening to this podcast, to live in this time, in this culture, mm-hmm. by God, for His his reasons, you know, and his purposes. Uh, so how do you, how do we affect our sphere of influence in, in the way that you just mentioned, starting from within, starting with ourselves, and then uh, reaching out to those around us? How do we do that as Jesus did to reach those that are unlovable? Um, how do we do that individually? You know, how do we uh, you mentioned values several times. What are the values that we focus on and that we can, uh, we can use as our compass to make sure that we are, are doing that as much as possible? And then how do we do that in our churches? How do we do that organizationally and as a community? How do we love those individuals? Uh, I think if you can imagine an emergency room, there's tons of patients that are in there, everything from a black eye to somebody that's bleeding out. Mm-hmm. The medical staff does a quick scan and then finds the worst. I think mm-hmm. the church tends to do a quick scan and find the best because it's uh, easier. Yeah. It's more the people we want. Right. And I think uh, God brings people through our lives uh, we don't recognize and we don't probably want to. It, it's a little bit along what James said. If you have somebody in good clothing and then the bum comes in, yeah. uh, if you respect the guy with a nice clothing, you're a respecter of persons. Mm. And a part of the value system is God is not a respecter of persons. Yeah. To respect people based on their degree, their experience, their name, their money, the way they look, yeah. that is ungodly. Right. That is a wrong value system. That is a worldly system, mm-hmm. not a spiritual uh, system that comes from God. And I think we struggle with that because we want to build a good organization. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to see a good organization coming out of people that are broken. Yeah. Do you think those, speaking of organizations, do you think the church as an organization is competing with the church as the bride of Christ, the heart of the heart and hands of Jesus, as you just, you know, uh, talked about, do you think those two things are mutually exclusive or do you think that they're competing against one another or is there a way, is there a way to, within our organizations, uh, to remain focused and remain, uh, with our aim on being, uh, those who reach out, what really not just to the most, the ones that are, are in the emergency room um, scenario that you gave, all of them really, right? It's not just the worst of the right. worst, but really it's, it's everyone equally. I think that's mm-hmm. what you just mentioned is we don't show partiality regardless of uh, how um, challenging the circumstances or the individual mm-hmm. might be, uh, that we love all unconditionally. Uh, so do you feel that the the church 
as an organization that that what we are doing is competing with that? Uh, I'm going to say something that may be a little difficult for some to hear. Uh-huh. Paul commends order. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible commends order. But it doesn't commend organization. Mm. Uh, I think we are confused because uh, our modern culture is let's organize. Uh-huh. Organizing something doesn't mean there's necessarily an order. Uh, an order is a, uh, a living process that is continually there, guiding, directing, maintaining. Mm-hmm. It may not have a constitution or any of those things, uh, but it comes out of, I believe, the principle of honor. Mm-hmm. Honor is a major value. If you honor people, you will live in an ordered relationship with them. And I think that's what the Bible is looking for in the church, a sense of divine order that is greater than the organization itself. Right, yeah. Yeah, so if, if we were to prioritize, if we, were, if we can maintain that honor and order and that any organizational decisions or principles would be subservient to that, would you see that as a good path forward? Absolutely. I, it's hard to do anything without organization. Right. Uh, At some point, we have to make the the rubber meets the road decisions of we're going to meet together at this time for this long, and this is what we're going to do, and this yes. is how we're going to connect with one another, whatever. There's got to be uh, the meat you know, of the decision-making. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, as you mentioned, those things in and of themselves are not necessarily good you know that's not kingdom principles that's just practical pragmatic and pragmatism can can serve a good end or a a bad end yeah the organization is there in the world as well as the church right it is not as you said it's not a kingdom principle it's a necessity in this life yeah it's it's a tool that can be used for for good like having a car it's not right or wrong to have a car what you let that car become to you is the right or wrong yeah. And uh, so th- I think we naturally find ourselves shifting and leaning more to the organization. When, when uh, the third church I pastored, I tried to deal with this and I uh, wrote a little membership book. Uh-huh. And in the introduction, I wrote there are two aspects of the church that we will deal with daily. Mm-hmm. One is the corporate organized church, the other is the living body of Christ. They are joined, but in some ways it's almost an unholy marriage because they are at war while they're trying to work together always. Yeah. Like my kids. (laughs) (laughs) They are at war and they work together sometimes. Yes. It's kind of a strange relationship. You can't do without it. Uh, Yeah. It's learning how to live with it and keep the right value uh, as a place of prominence there. Yeah. So what do you see as um, what do you see as the major challenges for the church in our culture? Let's say in, in the United States, in our time in our culture, uh, where do you see uh, you can go wherever you want with this question, with, whether it's strengths that you think we need to capitalize on and continue, you know that the church is doing really well, or maybe it's areas um, that you that in your eyes, we could give more attention to or do differently. Uh, and you can, you can speak to that really as to either side of the coin that you just mentioned, whether it's the, mm-hmm. the bride of Christ, the living f- church, or whether we're talking about organizationally. 
Okay, there's another side to this. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend, in wanting to serve, to love the bride more than the groom. Mm. That perverts, I think, how we respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a friend of the bridegroom, we are called, uh, we're a friend of the bridegroom. So we honor the bride, but we serve the groom. Yeah. And very oftenly, I think one of the big challenges is we're trying to serve the bride and not the groom. What the does groom that look is like? the key. What does that look like practically? How would you see what would be a situation where, where you might say that that is occurring? Okay. Um, I think you see it in Paul's writings, every letter he wrote, uh-huh. uh, where he gave loving correction to the bride because that's what the groom said. And I think one of the things that the modern church will not tolerate is correction. Mm. The modern church wants instruction. Mm -hmm. It wants recognition. It wants something that doesn't embarrass it in a program. But almost every lead pastor knows the minute you offer any correction, you hit a raw nerve. Uh, But that is part of life in in the kingdom. the Lord never stops correcting us. Right. And if I remove that as a pastor from the congregation, I set them up for a fall. Do you feel that that's something that's specific to the church, or do you feel that that's a part of our culture at large, the, the re- reluctance or unwillingness to accept correction? Uh, I, I think it's, it's bred in our culture, but it's not totally. If, if you go into large corporations, uh-huh. I think you'll find they understand correction. Right. They do uh, evaluation of your performance. This is what's wrong. We need this out of you. There's a place of responsibility there, uh, but there's an element in our culture that doesn't want it. Mm-hmm. And when we cater to that, and sometimes the church does, um, we set ourselves up, I think, for a place where we're going to have trouble. Mm. I think we need to, uh, in our membership class when I pastored, one of the things that I would tell them is in this church, if you become a member, you're asking me to correct you. Wow, yeah. I'm going to preach to everybody, but you're right. saying, come into my life. Yeah. If you don't want me to approach you, what you're doing right doesn't need anything. Right. Why would I give you a lot of attention? I, there's an attaboy, yeah. but what you're doing wrong can destroy you. Yeah. So I should be focused on that. Yeah, well, that's uh, the the uh, the first message that Jesus preached was repent, right? Yes. It, it's there. There are behaviors. There are, are things in your life. There are is a value system you have. Mm-hmm. There's an order of priority. Uh, there are um, thought patterns mm-hmm. that you have that all need yes. correcting. They're not, <laughs> yes. they're, they do not represent the kingdom of God and the order that, that God created you uh, to live. Uh, they're not doing that well. So there has to be repent. There's got to be a changing. There's got to be correction. You yeah. know, how can you p- repent without correction? Yes. Well, well, being saved is not the same as being right or being good. Mm-hmm. Um, being a part of a church is not the same as being a part of the kingdom. Yeah. And uh, I think our struggle is probably understanding the church and what it is. There's all manner of people. Um, uh, I wrote a little paper on, uh, I think biblically, there are seven different groupings 
from weeds uh, to whole Christians to worldly Christians. Right. Uh, uh, knowing that's all part of the church, mm-hmm. but they all have to be addressed uh, at, at some level. And the failure to address those things um, is kind of like having a sickness that's not treated. That's my opinion. I, uh, and I, I will say this, and I say this gently, mm-hmm. I don't think God called us to build a big church. Yeah. I think he called us to build a healthy church yeah. so that it will grow. Right. The focus isn't the growth, it's the health. Yeah, recently I keep coming back to uh, Jesus' parables of the kingdom, and those parables are not this explosive, you know, everybody's looking at this thing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't talk about, he doesn't come, well, of course, I was going to say he doesn't compare the kingdom of God to, you know, a rocket taking off. Of course, they wouldn't have, you know, they probably wouldn't have done right. that back then anyway. Yeah. They probably didn't have a whole lot of rockets uh, uh, around his time. But regardless, it's it's not some celebration of fanfare and everyone's watching this. It's below the surface. It's uh, the the leaven, you know, the mm-hmm. yeast that's uh, spreading into the entire lump. It's almost almost unseen. It's hidden, you know. And, or the the mustard seed, you know, the mm-hmm. kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that, that grows and becomes this great tree. But that doesn't happen overnight, and you can't watch the tree and see it growing. Right. It's something that's almost, the, the incremental changes are almost hidden. So I think that that goes along with what you were saying, uh, in that our when our goals become uh, growth for the sake of growth, or growth for the sake of numbers, or growth for the sake of whatever, you know, instead of health and the kingdom of God, like the, the growth will come, I think, when we focus on values. I, you use the word values, but over the past few years, <coughs> excuse me, I've thought, I've used the word principles. I think those are right. kind of interchangeable, mm-hmm. um, but I've, I've found that I personally, I'll speak for myself, do much better when I focus on principles and mm-hmm. and those I can understand core kingdom principles, and and then I compare the decisions of my life, the things I'm thinking about, the situations I'm encountering. I can compare those to that um, metric, that standard of God's principles mm-hmm. that allows me to grow into, I believe, follow Him uh, as as a, a more mature follower of Christ. Uh, so I think that that those principles, even in the organization, like we're talking about, if we can keep principle at the forefront or values at the forefront, then that can help us to avoid uh, erring in moving toward uh, um, organizational growth for the sake of growth mm-hmm. or growth for, let's say, the, the, uh, a reason other than what God's reason would be. Yes. Um, so, you know, there are, there are churches, obviously, uh, that have thousands of members. Do you think that there is a way for, let's say, the mega church to, uh, and I didn't intend to go, you know, this far into it, this direction, and uh, but I feel like the conversation has led here. Do you feel that there is a way for a mega church to operate in keeping values and principles of the kingdom at the forefront and be effective? in what God is calling them to do? Or do you think that that's too big of a scale that, that it needs to, you know, the church needs to operate on a smaller scale? Um, I think it's possible. Right. Uh, and I don't know that I have the answer. Right. I, I have my opinions and ideas. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that I see missing, 
and it's missing in small churches, often it's missing in larger churches, and that is an in-depth discipling of the lay leaders. Mm, yeah. uh, very few churches have regular weekly meetings. These are our leaders, and we're going to not only train them, yeah. the, a part of that discipleship is we're going to challenge them. Right. When Jesus called the, uh, the disciples, uh, if you look at it very closely, he gets Peter and James and John and Andrew and others, and then he's walking uh, uh, through, um, uh, where is it, where they, they fish the sea of, by the Sea of Galilee, and he calls Matthew. And what people don't realize is Matthew had cheated those men oh, wow. who had a business in the same city. Wow, yeah. So Jesus is not only teaching them, he's challenging them. And from that time on, you see the disciples talk about who's greater. Because mm. they want to get back at Matthew. Mm. He set the stage to reveal to them their heart. Yeah. And it's not till they see their heart that they make the changes. So yeah. he's working at discipling what is really just a small group of leaders. Because if he doesn't get them right, nobody's going to make it. Yeah. And I think our biggest focus in ministry is discipling leaders, especially lay leaders. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I think that I think the churches, the large churches, that seem to be successful in kingdom purposes are the ones that are doing that well. And the small churches, yes. it doesn't. Yeah, really, the size is is less relevant than are we discipling people well? And that's really that's really our call. Our call mm -hmm. was never to build any sort of organizational thing. If that's that, correct. If yes. that's serving discipling, great. Yes. If it's not, then kick it out and try something different because God called us to go to all the nations and make disciples. That's yes. that's what we're supposed to be doing, teaching teaching them to follow the commands, right? Yes. Going back to the correction yes. thing, uh, correcting. So. Yes, uh, our... Uh... Uh, assistant superintendent in the Assemblies of God, Alton Garrison, a few years ago was out west at a, uh, our uh, district council. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, Springfield was trying to answer the discipleship question in churches. And so they did a study. And he, he said, here's the result of our study. Smaller churches do discipling better than bigger churches. Bigger churches do programs in an outstanding manner. It's not mm -hmm. that... There's no programs in a small church, or there's no discipleship in a big church. Discipleship requires smallness. Mm -hmm. um, you can preach to to millions, yeah. but not an ounce of discipleship. Right. I would, relationship. Discipleship yes. requires a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I, I think that's been, in my experience, um, one of the reasons that the, the the recognition of that is that that church have churches have tried to implement some sort of whether it's called life groups or small groups or whatever it's it's to bring the intentionality to that relationship of yes. where the discipling can can actually occur um so yeah there's uh there you go we've solved it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <clears throat> well uh let me let me ask you kind of Flipping the page and going back to, I want I want to hear one more story from you because this is a this okay. is a one that I enjoyed reading. Can you share with us the story about was it when you went to get chickens or you went to get eggs from okay. the? Was it? Yeah, go ahead. Alex, eggs. I, yeah, the floor um, is yours. We were in our first church, and uh, I think it was our first convert was a um, 
uh, a Native American girl, probably about 18, 19 years old. And in just talking with her, she mentioned that her stepdad had a little ranch uh, kind of a setup way back in the mountains. It's, mm -hmm. it's like, uh, you wouldn't expect it. You'd expect it just be forest, but he had a piece of property. And uh, maybe a couple, three weeks after she mentioned that, I heard God say, go buy some eggs from this yeah. man. And I already know, I'm pretty young, but I already know this has nothing to do with eggs. Yeah. God's got something going, but I found that God seldom tells me what he's doing. He tells me what I'm to do. Right. So I got in the car and got the instructions and I drove out there. It was, it was crazy. It's, it's way out there. And came over a, a rise and, and you, you see this little ranch down in this bowl. Uh, yeah. And it came down into this thing and... There's a couple of guys standing over by a corral, and so I shut the car off and walked over, and, and uh, they're, they're pretty scroungy. Yeah. Uh, the, the guy that I was looking for is wearing overalls and a big shaggy beard, and, and he smells. It's, yeah. it's like... So I said, hey, I hear you sell eggs. I need a dozen. Uh, apparently, he had heard about me. I have no idea how. Yeah. But he said, you're that new preacher in town, ain't you? And I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, you see over there on the porch on the house? He said, if you can get out of here before I reach that shotgun, you get to leave. Otherwise, you're going to be here for a long, long time. Wow. And he started for the house. Well, I panicked. Yeah. Ran to the car, jumped in, started. I, big rooster tail of oh, dirt and goodness, dust. Just yeah. a big old thing spun around, and I'm out of there. Wow. And I, I say in the book, sometimes it seems like God has bad ideas, and that was one of those signs. Yeah. <laughs> so, Lord, you missed it on this one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I got out of there, and it wasn't maybe a few days later that uh, God said, you didn't get the eggs. Oh, my goodness. And now God and I are arguing. I, you know, uh, God, I don't really like eggs. Yeah. He sells them for too much. They're right here in the store. <laughs> And, and God just doesn't listen to my arguments at all. Yeah. So I find myself driving, and I'm dreading it. I'm trying to figure out, what am I going to do? I, you know. And the worst case scenario, I pull in, and he, he is by himself over by the crowd looking at some um, cows or steers or something, mm -hmm. and the shotgun's right next to him. Oh, my goodness. So I take a deep breath uh, and think, well... Uh, probably going to meet the Lord. And I, wow. I get out and I walk. And I said, hey, I never got those eggs. And he picked up the shotgun. Wow. Clicks it off. I can remember this day, the little button by the trigger, you clicked it off. And he says, you have one chance of leaving here. I'm going to ask you a question. If you get the answer right, you get to leave and you can have the eggs. Otherwise, you're here to stay. Wow. Uh, and I'm inside just a panic. I'm yeah. trying to look calm. I'm trying to be spiritual, but I'm not. I'm yeah. really, really not. And so I, uh, my thinking, pro I can remember going, okay, if I'm going to go to heaven today, I want to do it with the truth on my lips. Yeah. So I said, well, the Bible said that you have to be born again of the Spirit. Well, you didn't. So what was his question? His question was, was what, do you, uh, what does it take to get to heaven? Yeah. Now, and I couldn't figure out why this madman who cared about heaven. Right. Except later I would understand. But uh, so he asked me the question mm -hmm. and I told him, the Bible says you must be born again. And he, this slow smile starts and he, he clicked the safety off and he said, that's the only answer I would accept. Wow. He said, come into the house with me. Let's, let's go have a cup of coffee and talk. So we go to the house. The door is open. There's dogs, there's cats. It, it's a place. 
that's filthy. Yeah. It stinks. Yeah. There's flies in the air. There, there's literally garbage. He would open a can of beans and just toss the can on the floor. Wow. The table is littered with stuff. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous about a cup of coffee. And sure. he goes in and he just takes his arm and just sweeps garbage off the table, brushes yeah. it off the chair and says, sit down, I'll get you some coffee. Um, picks up a used coffee cup, pours out something, yeah. wipes it out with his shirt tail, yeah. blows in it, and then pours me a cup of coffee wow. and sets it in front yeah. of me. Does the same for himself. And he said, he said, I want to talk to you. He said, I was raised in a Christian home. I grew up in a home that served Christ. And he talked about the uh, uh, hypocrisy, the anger, the, uh, the way pastors and others have treated people, but he'd reached a point where he hated religion, all religion, but Christianity more than the rest. Wow. Because of the, the failures he had seen, he had developed a very negative thing. And uh, so we talked at length, and uh, he finally thanked me. He said, it's, it is so refreshing to talk about the Lord again. I haven't talked about the Lord in so many years. You can't wow. believe it. And it opened a door for him to begin to make his way back to Christ. Wow. Nobody liked him. I'm sure he was growing marijuana, probably meth. He probably had a moonshine still. He just... Yeah. But God loves these people, and God will use us if we're willing to be put on that razor-thin edge and mm -hmm. put away the safety margins and just do what God says. Yeah. Um, kind of like, I, I guess, you know, Daniel and Lion's Den. It was not something I signed up for. It's just something you have to do. Yeah. Wow. That's good. What a challenge. So how was the coffee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't drink much of it. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> Wow, what a what a uh, great great testimony of of a lot of things of obedience and uh, of God's faithfulness and uh, and the ability of God's love to reach anyone and everyone. Uh, and that's I think uh, a good place to wrap it up. Is is may we remember that every day that there's mm -hmm. never anyone too far. Right. from God's love, never anyone too far for him to reach. And uh, may we be ready to be the, the conduit, mm -hmm. the vessel, the, the one that he uses to, um, to share his love with that individual. So, yes. Well, serving God isn't supposed to be comfortable. Yeah. But it is supposed to be fruitful. There you go. And, and sometimes we're looking for comfort, and God's looking for fruit. Mm. Yeah, that pruning process is not always... Uh, comfortable is it it's a little painful at times yes. but yes that's right we are called to be fruitful so i would encourage everyone once again to there are many more great stories in this book um, by keith wisdom in the mirror check the link below <coughs> thank you for joining with us today on this podcast and hopefully the next episode i'm going to be over this cough that i've <coughs> been dealing with for about four weeks now but thanks for joining us on the Somewhat Helpful Podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, and share it with someone that you think might enjoy it. See you next time. Running to something